This edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Marketplace Rock, a business of intercessory prayer for businesses. Learn more at MarketplaceRock.com. Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder, co-founder and co-host. Here's this week's interview by my partner, John Ramstead. Today on the Eternal Leadership Podcast, we welcome Jeff Hainan. Jeff, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Now, um, I'm uh, Steve and I have gotten to know Jeff, uh, boy, since we were first starting the podcast at the first uh, Colorado Christian Business Association conference, and and Steve and Jeff, you guys were able to do some some radio work together to kind of promote that conference, and that was right yep. when we were looking at it, thinking about launching this podcast. Exactly. And uh, a good friend of mine, Jeff, Brian Christman, said, hey, there's this guy. You have to get to know Jeff. He's just doing huge things in the kingdom. And uh, you founded and are the CEO of the Denver Institute for Faith and Work. And I know in the past you've served as a school administrator, a pastor, and a missionary. Um, You got your bachelor's in international economics and Spanish which is, uh, that's pretty incredible. You definitely know how to study. <laughs> you got your Master's of Divinity from Denver Seminary. And I know you, uh, you do a lot of writing. You're a contributing author to Christianity Today, uh, the Review of Faith and International Affairs, Comment Magazine. Um, and you're right here in Denver with us, and you're married, have four daughters. And it has just been great to get to know and uh, know you, Jeff, and just see what you're doing. And, and people listening out there, you know, a lot of times we, you know, we talk about, um, it's definitely been a theme on this podcast, the, um, we, do, we do not feel that there is a difference between the secular and the sacred, that this is an artificial construct that has been created. And everything that we do is integrated through our faith in what the, those works that God has called us to do, you know, that calling that we've connected to. And, um, you know, before we kind of dive into how to really move into some of that, Jeff, I'd love for you to just share your, you know, your background, your story, let our audience get to know you a little bit. Yeah, sure. Well, thanks for that intro. It sounds exhausting, all those different things just in in one period. So, Well, I'm inspired Um, just, you know, I'm just inspired knowing (laughs) you, so. Oh, I appreciate it. So, yeah, background, grew up in Minnesota. I went to college in Indiana, studied abroad in South America, which is where I learned Spanish. After my wife and I got married, I did my uh, MDiv at Denver Seminary. But a part of my own tension was kind of that gap between uh, my undergrad and seminary of wanting to know about, you know, understand a little bit more about this world. So I had the habit of reading The Economist every week as an econ major. And so you'd read The Economist, what's happening in Pakistan or global business, then you do seminary, you do Greek and hermeneutics and Hebrew and all this other stuff, right? Wait, wait, you like said you said world. hermeneutics? What is, I got to ask yeah, you what that exactly. is because I don't know. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> ways of understanding a text. Exactly. Okay. But that is exactly the point. It is exactly the point is what on earth does seminary have to do with the broader world that I lived in? And that was my own tension for several years. Because actually I went to seminary hoping there would be sections on, you know, business and science and politics there, but... I, I realized that it was more about theology, but I thought, isn't theology actually about the world and the world that we live in? So that was my own tension, coming to faith as a person listening to uh, and reading guys like Chuck Colson about Christian worldview and Francis Schaeffer. 
But I also saw there's quite a real divide, as you guys see, between sacred and secular in our society, though as people of faith, we don't necessarily believe that that ought to be there. Um, so several years ago, I started Denver Institute for Faith and Work to try to bridge that divide, because people feel it culturally when they see movies or uh, whether you read the news or whatever it might be, but you can feel it in a very real, real way when you're in the workplace. Um, so back in 2012, we started Denver Institute for Faith and Work. Um, and our first event actually was a small gathering in Boulder at a tech startup uh, shared office space called Impact Hub on faith and technology about what does, for instance, uh, scripture say about the tools that we uh, that we make and that we build in the world. So there's a lot of conversations about that as well. But today, uh, we're an organization. We do uh, events for about a thousand people a year. Events are everything from business to technology to art to uh, law. Uh, we do uh, media and educational resources for networks of churches in this area. And then we have a program, an uh, intensive leadership development program for emerging leaders in Denver called the 5280 Fellowship, 5280 being the mile high city that we live in. Um, and that's a wonderful program that honestly I'm um, excited to be learning from all these bright people in our city year by year as we do that program. Well, you know, in Jeff, as you go back leading up to 2012, um, you know, what led you into, I mean, I, I mean, leaving what you were doing to start a new foundation that was, uh, I mean, th this is a big step. So I'd love for you to talk about, you know, how you kind of connected to some of those passions, you know, maybe, you know, this path that God was calling you to do uh, that allowed you to, to move forward into what you're doing now. Yeah things on that. So the first was my own growing convictions, reading theology, what it means to be people of Christian faith in the 21st century. One of my favorite authors is a guy named Leslie Newbegin. He wrote a book called The Gospel in a Plural Society that was really influential on me. Um, and it talks a lot of, in that book about the meaning of a public faith, not only a private faith for our own lives, but what does it mean to have a uh, public faith? I started thinking more about actually missions and missiology and thinking actually the workplace out in society day basis, whether you're at a tech startup or a public school or in healthcare, that really is a core place for mission. Um, and I think it's underemphasized in the life of most local churches. And I come from theology and church kind of world. And I thought we could do more on this. So that, that was a growing conviction. The second was actually a sense of calling. Um, actually, one day after church, I was attending a church here in Colorado called Colorado Community Church. church and a woman named Terry came up to me after church. Uh, and uh, she looked at me across the hallway and came up to me. I'd met her a couple of times. She's the wife of one of the pastors, a very kind woman. And she said, I have a word from God for you. And, I, you know, I grew up Lutheran, so I didn't know what to do with that. I sort of froze. I didn't know what the heck was going to happen to me. Uh, but she <laughs> said, you know, I, I, I just didn't know this world, right? So she, she um, uh, said, uh, God sees what you're doing, and he wants you to keep going. And at that time, I had all these thoughts for starting this new organization called Denver Institute hmm. for Faith and Work. And I thought, this is very interesting. This has never happened to me before, but this is a really critical time in my own life and my formation. So that was a confirmation of saying you need to take that next step. Um, but the third part, too, is the long, hard kind of road of self-awareness. I've always loved learning. I love the academic world, but I've realized over the years I'm very entrepreneurial and I like starting things. I like moving things forward. Um, and I thought actually this kind of a framework where we could start an organization that could talk about what the gospel means for the world in a lot of different ways and sort of forms 
it'd probably be a better fit for me in a lot of different ways. And so got to really confirm that over the past uh, few years as stuff started to grow and really by his grace, we were able to have more impact on the city. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Now, mm-hmm. you, you said that, um, you know, there's not a lot of churches that are, you know, focusing on this or emphasizing this. What do you think the reason is for that, Jeff? Well, you know, that's a good question. I think there's a couple different reasons. One, actually, I do think that we've made some significant progress in the last 15 to 20 years on talking about work and vocation as a regular part of churches, at least the churches that we've interacted with in this area. So there has been progress, especially as we've seen talks of Christian worldview sort of uh, deepen in a lot of congregations. But I think the biggest challenge in the life of the church in that world, rather than business, is that sometimes we don't think that it's a part of the gospel, that our work is not a part of the gospel. We talk about a lot of different institutes for faith and work. We talk about 2 Corinthians 5.19, that in Christ God is reconciling the world to himself. All things. It's got a broadened vision of redemption. It's not only about our hearts and our personal salvation, which, of course, it is also that, right? But he is actually reconciling all things to himself. It says this in Colossians 1, you know, uh, uh, 19 and 20 as well. And so when we see this broader vision that Christ the Redeemer is bringing everything back to himself, this means ourselves, our workplaces, our communities, our entire cities as well. And we really need to go to the scope of the, of, of the death and resurrection of Christ in order for this to make sense in churches. Because if we first start talking about, for instance, theology of work or workplace ministry, to a lot of pastors it sounds sort of niche sort of sounds like, well, we've got, you know, 50 programs. Why would I add a 51st program? That's nice, right? Um, but I actually think this is really core to the gospel and the scope of redemption. So I, we in some of that conversation to Denver Institute for Faith and Works, and this is actually central to our own faith. And what we think about with work and the cities that we live in, it's a very kind of core outflow of our own faith. So I think we need to do a little bit of work on recentering it on the gospel. You know, that's, that's interesting when you said, you know, a lot of pastors, you is kind of niche or, you know, this is just another ministry, right? Like the right. men's ministry or the women's ministry. This would be the, you know, faith at work ministry. Um, that's right. And you see it very differently, though. Um, I, could you go a little bit deeper into how, like, if you were sitting down, you know, with, uh, you know, a businessman who's been active in their church, you know, the, a lot of the people that you, that you're talking to, and they have this desire to, to bring their faith out in the world more fully, right? And they're, they're involved in church ministry. Um, but you're talking about this as an integration. What does that look like? Yeah, that's a good question. So the churches that do this the best, they don't actually talk about it as a separate thing. It's just baked into their DNA. They use language of God's you know, reconciliation of all things or restoring all things. For instance, there's one church uh, in Arizona, Redemption, and they do wonderful things like as a regular part of their church. For instance, they do these vocational interviews whereby uh, during a church service, they'll ask people about their work. They'll say, hey, today it's Sunday at 10 a.m., what will you be doing on Monday at 10 a.m.? And so they have a chance to talk about them, their life and their work. And for them, they oftentimes use language of all life discipleship. We, of course, believe we should be disciples of Jesus in all areas of life. This is just core to what it means to be a disciple. And this is one area, right? So instead of making it a little niche thing, it's the broader vision of redemption. And then it sort of gets baked into how do I think about illustrating, you know, a sermon for a pastor? Uh, how do we think about really trying to touch not only different age groups, right? We've got the youth, we've got the young college, you know, you got the 
seniors in ministry or even men and women, we try to say, how does it, how does it look like to be believers in all these areas of life? So the churches that are doing that well, um, I think, uh, really bake it into the philosophy of ministry. But then for the, for the business leader, for instance, that's in the local church context, um, it can be, uh, just honestly speaking, it can be hard. It can be hard because I've hung out with a lot. I hang out with more business leaders than I do pastors. And there is this longing for their pastors to understand the significance and the mm-hmm. power of what they're doing, of shaping, I mean, workplace cultures and employees and customers and providing for the needs of the world. As we talk about, we do theology of business. That's what business is. It provides for the needs of the world. And it usually, uh, it takes time. And sometimes, again, um, you know, business leaders are, well, let's see, you make money so you can be in the finance committee. I mean, that's a little bit of a, over a stereotype. But it can happen, and oftentimes there's very much of a, a weight, like a spiritual weight of how do we listen to one another. So I always really counsel pastors, be humble, listen to business leaders in your congregation of what you can learn from Christian mission in the world from them, right? I actually counsel the same for business leaders. Let's be humble and listen to pastors and the theology that we need to integrate into our own businesses. Well, I love that. And, you know, you, you, when you talk a lot about leaders, and I think a lot of people, when we think of leaders, right, we're thinking of, the, you know, the owner, the CEO, the, um, you know, kind of that, that position. But I, you guys do a lot of work with what you call emerging leaders. Can you talk about, you know, how powerful it is to really equip these people that are, you know, really at the, you know, somewhere in the start or the middle of their journey, they're, they're not at the top of the food chain and the impact that that, that group can have? Yeah, good question. Let me take a couple of different angles on that. Um, one, age. So usually we think that, um, well, the critical ages, the critical ages for people and their leadership in their career, it's actually not in college, it's after college. It's the years, usually in their 20s and early 30s, that tends to be really under-institutionalized, so they're not, you know, doing the campus ministry, they're not doing classes every single day, they're, you know, manager at KPMG, for instance, in, in Colorado. And the experiences and the networks and the opportunities they have really in their 20s and early 30s, those really can catalyze people uh, into leadership or keep them stuck in sort of more of a technician role for a long time. So one book that was influential for how I think about leadership, Michael Lindsay has studied leadership extensively. He's the president of Gordon College. He wrote Faith in the Halls of Power, I think it was back in 2007-8, and then recently View from the Top, which he studied uh, over 500 platinum leaders, the highest level leaders, uh, really around the world from government as well as from business. And he actually What was the name of that, that book again, Jeff? Yeah, View from the Top. Okay. It's a really wonderful book, uh, yeah, that Michael had written about. We based about half of our fellows program on the philosophy that comes from this. But he found of these platinum leaders, some of the best leaders really in the uh, in the United States principally, uh, how did they get there? How did they get in their role? And he found it pretty interesting. Uh, over 80% of them had a catalyst experience. And actually most of those 80% had the same catalyst experience. And it was a leadership program called the White House Fellowship uh, in the White House. So he studied that program pretty extensively about what really, what really catalyzed very early in their career, their leadership uh, into these higher echelons of leadership in the United States. And he had found four different characteristics. Um, and I won't go into all of them. I want to go into one though, which I think is really important for leadership. And one is what he calls a broadening education. 
And so early in this program, instead of only hanging out with people that kind of do your type of work, but in the White House Fellows, get a chance to meet high-level leaders and diplomats, but everything from uh, a zoologist to somebody at NASA to really, you know, high-level business leader. And they had a chance to early in their career sort of develop this broadening view of leadership because what usually happens is we go, you get a degree, you get in your job, and you know your thing, right, whether that be uh, mortgages or, you know, how to fix skin for a dermatologist, for instance, right? But then to rebroaden out and to start to see other different fields and to know people actually in other different fields is really core to having this general or broader perspective. Michael makes the case that, for instance, um, generals have the name generals because they need a general perspective in order to make good decisions in the military. They need to be able to see a wide array of kind of competing forces as well. And so in our fellowship program, one, that's a very important aspect of it. We have three major parts. One is theology and Christian formation. One is we take them through a personal development, a professional development project of applying their theology to our real-life situations well. But then also we really try to connect emerging leaders, these leaders in their 20s and 30s, with senior leaders in our city, people in civic leadership and business leadership, um, in education, in healthcare, uh, to be able to see not kind of issues in a city abstractly, but to really uh, meet the people and feel almost as they feel as they're trying to really, you know, shape, for instance, the future of public education in the city of Denver. It's those relationships that we have found is really critical and that people, even ironically enough, I think in a social media age, people feel isolated. They feel isolated from yeah, one another. So that. creating those, net, those networks, those relationships, I think is a really important part of leadership and that can create this catalyst experience of really pushing people um, into higher levels of leadership long-term. Now, when you mm. say catalyst experience, what, what, what kind of catalyst is that? Yeah, it's these experiences. So, for instance, the White House Fellows, I believe, is a year-long program. Ours is nine months. Of course, ours is a much a small, a smaller, um, a smaller version of it. But catalyst means it creates a certain amount of change that that if you didn't do that experience, it wouldn't be there. So, it can catalyze people into a new job opportunity. Right. One of our fellows, her name is Catherine Alvarez at uh, Red Rocks Credit Union. She did one of her projects at Red Rocks Credit Union on selfless sales, she called it. And so she redid how they do the whole sales structure um, for the different products they sell at Red Rocks. And she was after the, her program, she got a promotion. And now she's on the executive team at Red Rocks Credit Union. But generally speaking, the programs that do a good job of leadership, they catalyze uh, new understanding of themselves and kind of greater, a, a greater self-awareness, which is really important. Sometimes they can open up new professional opportunities, but really they catalyze you into different um, networks of people that are, is a really, really important thing. And so Michael will say, for instance, the view from the top, broader, not deeper. And maybe that's a little bit of a false dichotomy, but um, oftentimes we think about going deeper and deeper into a single topic, but really the broad networks, those are, those are really what allow me and my company to become much more valuable. For instance, if I am at Red Rocks Credit Union, but I also know what's going on in the art community, in public education, in the healthcare community, it will allow my company to more meaningfully touch all these different issues in our city. And I'm sort of the person to be, to be representing those to my company. So it catalyzes them even forward in their, um, in their company. Does that make sense? No, it makes perfect sense. Um, 
I just think about the path that, you know, Steve and I have been on just even with this podcast and just the amazing mm. people that we've been able to meet and develop relationships with across the globe and across different areas. You know, they're thought leaders in all kinds of different right. areas, all kinds of different businesses and different, you know, aspects of ministry and leadership. And um, I got to tell you, just for me, it's just been an amazing part of the journey, which is, uh, I, you know, I attribute, you know, what we're doing now, the impact that we're having uh, is because of, you know, this broad, and I'm not an expert in any one of these verticals, like, so to speak, like you're talking about, um, but I know people that are. And so when things come up and it's, you know, hey, like you're talking about Red Rocks and hey, how do we better, you know, serve the healthcare community? Well, you're, you know, Rachel would know, hey, let's go have a conversation with some friends of mine. All of a sudden, now you're having meaningful conversations about, and, and I'll guarantee you, uh, because I know the, you know, what you guys do, and, and I don't know Rachel, but she's bringing her faith and who she is into every meeting and every conversation that she has, isn't she? Right. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a really good experience, too. I mean, I, uh, a good example, I mean, um, I was sitting in a very small school that wasn't doing very well for the several years after seminary. And sort of felt stuck until a friend actually connected me to a couple of other friends. And very early on, I pitched board membership to a couple of people in Denver. One of them is my friend, Chris Horst. He's great when he said yes to the board, because he's one of these guys that touches all sorts of different networks. I knew his organization was going to work. Um, but he sort of gently led me to his networks. And then all of a sudden I found myself in a very short period of time knowing all sorts of fascinating people, uh, both in the city as well as in other cities, which I felt very undeserving of, but very interested in and grateful for as well. One of those for, I mean, just thinking for listeners today of what you can do, just buying coffee and listening to people that are very different from yourself. I find we encourage our fellows to do this, but I'll connect you through a, through one of panel discussion, for instance, at one of our fellows gatherings to the superintendent for, you know, a school district or public schools, Rico Mun. But it's going to be up to fellows to say, would you, you need to go and then reach out and learn more about that person and that person's life. Even if, even if you're not in public education, right? Like being interested, having this broad view, this broadening education, is, I think it's a really underemphasized but very important part of leadership that even people sitting on like important boards, for instance, in, in one particular city, they have a chance on those boards to meet several people from different kinds of industries that are all leading in different ways. And those become kind of dense places of social capital that really tend to catalyze even more leadership. Yeah. And it's not just about creating, you know, financial opportunities too. I think, you know, when you really get to know other people and other perspectives, it, it challenges us sometimes just on how we think and how we perceive things. Cause you know, we bring into every situation kind of who we are and how we were raised and how we think. And I think as we right. can challenge that and bring that to scripture and, and, and become really the best version of ourselves, it's hard to do that if we're staying isolated. Yeah, and I agree. And I, again, I come from like theology world. I'm pretty just interested in a lot of things. And that is to, to separate networking for the sake of only financial opportunities, but for better ways the body of Christ can serve key needs in any particular city. I think that's really important. And I also think learning and asking good questions. You know, how do you express your faith in this difficult 
you know, situation of leadership, whether that be, you know, my shareholders are saying this or my executive team this, or, I mean, it could be a lot of stuff, but having a chance to learn face-to-face from people, I think is a really important aspect of it as well. Now, as you launched this, um, the Denver Institute of Faith and Work, it was out of that that the 5280 Fellowship grew, and you mentioned some of the books. Uh, share a little bit more about what the what the vision and the mission is behind the 5280 Fellowship, Jeff. Great. Yeah, good question. So um, so we talked a little bit about that uh, isolation that a lot of people feel. Or what were the needs for some of this program? A lot of people do feel isolated from people. Um, especially other believers in their industry. So we saw a need there as well. Um, we also feel like there is a big need for a lot of people out there that they know, okay, I'm a person of faith now, but sometimes we feel like almost our walk with Christ is a little thinner, not as deep as we want it to be. And so we're looking for ways to live a, you know, a deeper faith, but it's very difficult to actually do that with all. I mean, I've got four kids and, a job and it's like, who has extra time? This can be a real big challenge. Um, and then there's also a need broadly. I mean, globally, the Gallup says 87% of the workforce is disengaged today. In America, it's about 70%. There's a lot of people that are having big questions about, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know if this is what I'm supposed to be doing with my work. So we put those few different things together and we put together uh, this program, 5280 fellows. Um, and it's got a handful of different kind of key areas to it. So, there's a really strong kind of relational and emotional learning context to it. It's um, three retreats, five Saturdays, weekly cohort meetings and meetings around the city, meeting different leaders. And so kind of people understanding who, who are the people in my city and what does it mean for me to relate well to them is an important aspect of it. Uh, we build into the fellowship different habits like spiritual reading, um, discussions, prayer, learning to hear other people's stories, which is a really important part of it. On the reading side, we do give them what we call the big, the big phone book. <laughs> we give them this huge reader, uh, but it's only a 20 to 30 pages a week. We didn't really want to overwhelm people with a ton of reading. We didn't think that that was very helpful. But we have five different big units. One is on biblical worldview and Christian mission. One is on theology and work. One is on theology and calling. One is on Christ and culture, how people through the ages thought about being people face in different kinds of cultures. And then one was a deeper dive into different industries and issues. For instance, what does theology say to education or law or to um, racial injustice or systemic poverty? Um, and then we also take our fellows through a, an important kind of deeper knowledge of themselves. So mm. we take them through EQI assessment and 360 interviews because we think that, especially for growing leadership, leadership is really about people. And if we're not fully aware of how do I, how do I interact with somebody you know, in a stressful situation and if you're coming off wrong, that's really going to put a ceiling on your leadership. So we want to give them a more clear vision of themselves. And then we have them apply some of their learning to a personal development project in the spring, as well as um, uh, another uh, a professional development project where we ask them to solve one problem in their workplace, community, or industry over three and a half months. And this last year, we saw all sorts of um, really fun projects. One of our fellows was a law professor, and she studied police transparency in the city. Um, uh, one was in the financial industry and studied what, is, what a biblical values had to say to how we invest. Um, one person did a documentary about refugees in our city because she's an ESL teacher uh, at uh, hmm. local public schools, um, and she wanted to more understand where all these people were coming from <laughs> in our mm-hmm. city. Um, and so we have all these wonderful projects, but in a short period of time, just to sum it up, we really try to go from 
theology and spiritual formation to what does it mean for uh, my relationships in the city and then my work uh, on a day-to-day basis. And we've had, um, yeah, we just finished actually our first class and are welcoming our second class this fall, but it's been, it's been very fun to see the results. You know, as people are going through this process and, and they're making some of these shifts, right, taking some of the things that they're learning and things that they would like to do about their faith, and now they're, you're at, what you're talking about is how do I not only apply them but use it to, you know, have influence, to create impact. Well, you know, what are some of the things you've noticed as people have gone through this this transformational journey, Jeff, that have maybe slowed them down or, or maybe stood in their way a little bit, some some common themes? You know, as they go through this journey, I think one of the big things, at least I'm thinking about right now, is they start to see the world right in front of them. Mm. I think oftentimes, maybe when we spend a lot of time on looking at news and all the huge problems in the world, and we're thinking about North Korea and the last thing President Trump tweeted and all these other things, there's sort of a low-level stress about there's all these problems in the world. Here I am in my little cubicle, and I can't do anything about it. Yeah, so they, seem, sort of so, they seem so big that, you know, why bother? You, you just paralyze. You're just continually paralyzed, and it leads to sort of a disengagement and actually a resentment, a frustration over time. Mm. So we try to get them to see, okay, where are you <laughs> right now, right? What has God put in your hand right now that you might give to your neighbor? How can you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength right in this place? And how can you love your neighbor as yourself? So, um, for instance, one of our uh, one of our uh, fellows of last year, Miss Christiana Farrell, she was a uh, urban planner in Denver, and she saw that, for instance, a lot of projects that happen uh, at the city level, you know, urban planners can get a lot of flack from neighbors that say, hey, I don't, you know, NIMBY, I don't want that in my backyards. They're constantly getting criticized and constantly getting criticized from, actually, sometimes both sides, both the, the citizens as well as the business community. But she said, well, is there anything I can do as a leader of this small team to prevent burnout uh, amongst my team? And so she went through, a, she designed a three-and-a-half-month training to prevent more burnout and to try to, she said, get compassion burnout for other urban planners in the city. Um, and it was, it was really successful. Uh, people ha- had a greater understanding of where people were coming from uh, and an ability to sort of endure all the flack that they're going to get in that position as well. So Christina is a great example of we take them through this process. It goes from, uh, work to, wow agency, opportunity, I can serve God in this place at this time, and this is how I can bring just a you know, little more slice of redemption to where I am than, where, than when I started. That's, uh, you know, I, I know everybody listening to this is uh, probably getting pretty, a lot of people are probably getting pretty energized, like, wow, that's so cool. And I know you have so, much, so many great stories about people that have been through this program, Jeff. I'd love for you just to uh, share a few other of the stories that just come to mind for you. Yeah, I mean, I could share one more story with, for instance, uh, a guy named Paul uh, last year. Wonderful guy. He's actually, I was a little bit on the older side, but he's got three kids, uh, late 30s, and went through the program. And he was at a tech startup. He'd been at this tech startup for 10 years. So being at a tech startup for 10 years makes you by far the oldest person, <laughs> the oldest person around. And so he came into the program thinking, what's wrong with me? Why am I still here? Shouldn't I have, you know, moved on? But actually, at a cohort discussion one night, another one of the fellows said, look, this actually gives you way more say-so uh, in your company than other people. There are young people coming into this company that are looking to you for leadership. 
So he created a mentoring program for senior people in the company to be pouring into the lives of younger people in the company. And he worked with believers and non-believers, not necessarily a faith-based company or anything like that. Um, but he built this and he got actually somebody who wasn't a person of faith, but partnered with him on this project to kind of move it through their entire company. So there's a lot of stuff like that. And the, the outcomes look really differently for different people. If you're in mid-level management or if you're a CEO or if you're just, you know, starting off in a company. But I think the good news is you don't have to be in a particular position uh, to do something now. We actually want to give people the habit of, look, there's an issue, there's a problem. I can have a role in solving that problem. And at the end of the day, that's leadership. People step up and they, they make stuff happen, right? And so that's what we want people to do more, more, more and more of. Jeff, what are some practical ways, close out this broadcast with some practical ways that people can, one, educate the church around them and to educate the church leadership? Yeah, good question. Both church leadership and individuals. Well, when we think about kind of practical action steps, I think, number one, um, think about what you're reading on a day-to-day basis. Uh, We always talk about we want people to think theologically about their work and about their culture. So it's pretty easy to think secularly uh, about our work, but what does Christian faith have to say to different kinds of work? And there's a wide body of literature. You can come to either denverinstitute.org or jeffkane.com, and uh, there's all sorts of good things to be reading, I think, in order to first sort of baptize your mind of what does God have to say about this world that he's reconciled to himself. So I think that's really important. Uh, number two, I would say, is the relationships. A major, we haven't talked maybe enough about that in this podcast, but there's, there's a major part of redemption is the relationships uh, that we have around us. And we can be a part of creating really redemptive kind of Trinitarian relationships with one another uh, uh, that are really based on trust in our companies. Um, and I think finding ways to build healthier company cultures and strong relationships is something that everybody can do in different areas as well. Um, and then the final thing I would say is the actual work that we're doing it really matters, whether you're you know, uh, cleaning water or you're in construction or whatever it might be. I think dedicating ourselves to the work that we're doing on a day-to-day basis rather than continually looking for the next opportunity, it's, mm-hmm. uh, God might be calling you to do something different, and that's fine. We want to listen to this voice on a day-to-day basis as well. But the work that we're doing across different industries is incredibly important. You know, we need people to show up and to show love along the way. Um, so I'd say those three things would be a good place to start. You want to close it out, John? Well, you know, um, for you, Jeff, for so people to find you, it's denverinstitute.org, correct? Yep. And you can also go under denverinstitute.org under the programs tab, and there's a tab there for 5280 Fellowship. You can get more information on it there. And you just have some phenomenal people. Uh, you know, one of your uh, board members, Chuck Stein, has been a friend of mine since college. He and I were in the, the same fraternity a long time ago, Jeff. I won't tell you what year we graduated. <laughs> oh, that's great. Boys. I'll have to... Uh... Yeah, I'll have to bring that up at our board retreat this next weekend. Fun. Yeah, we were both in Delts at RPI, and I think he he probably graduated in like 60-something, 1962, 
I graduated in 88, but um, <laughs> anyway, um, you know, it just, you know, as people have been listening in on this and I, I know the, the passion and, you know, what the heart behind what you're doing, what are, what are just some final thoughts to leave with our audience, Jeff? Uh, final thoughts. Uh, I, I always go back to the basics whenever I have this love and Lord your God with all of your heart, not all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, uh, and love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, work takes up a hundred thousand on average, a hundred thousand hours of our life. And if we're going to be dedicating all of their, all of ourselves, uh, to Christ and to what he's doing in the world, work has to be a major part of that. And then I think when we do that, do our, uh, give us eyes to see the, the needs of our neighbors. Um, whether that be in our workplaces and in our communities. Um, and that really is what we're, the church is supposed to be about uh, in the world. And so I was thinking continually coming back to that very central commandment that Christ gave us is essential for us at Denver Institute and uh, hopefully for the church in the world. Well, I love that you wrapped up with that. And, you know, and I just want to echo something you said before, too, when we're looking at all these huge problems in the world, and you told so many wonderful examples and stories of people actually taking action right there in their local community, things that their own interests and passions, right, as they tied into that self-awareness that connected to. And I, I have come to believe that one person with God, who's loving them with all, you know, loving God with all their heart, loving Christ with all their heart, um, who's who's walking on purpose can truly make a difference, and, you know, and what starts personally goes locally and goes globally. And so wherever you are, if you're listening to this, you know, you can make a difference. That uh, That is absolutely in your future. You just have to start making some changes. You have to start getting around other people like you were talking about, Mm -hmm. Jeff, that are doing that people that have, have nothing to do maybe with your career field or maybe they do, but you, you want to understand how they think and their mindset and, and, and how they look at things differently, you know, how they bring God into every situation. And I really encourage people to, to go to denverinstitute.org under the resources tab is the newsletter tab, uh, which I get, and you can sign up for that and just stay in touch. And it's uh, thank you for what you're doing, Jeff. It is powerful. Um, you guys are just uh, training the next generation of just kingdom leaders and kingdom warriors out there. And I truly appreciate um, you, the entire team there at Denver Institute, and what you guys are doing, my friend. Well, thanks. Yeah, really appreciate you having me on the Eternal Leadership Podcast. My pleasure. We'll talk to you soon. If there's anything at all we can do for you or to get the word out for a program, and just uh, make sure you let us know, okay? Okay. Thanks, friends. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Eternal Leadership. Be sure to check the summary of this MP3 for any important links and a link to the show notes for this episode. As I said at the top, this edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Marketplace Rock. Is there something that feels like it's blocking your business? The team at Marketplace Rock partners with you in unearthing those things that could be holding you back through intercessory prayer. Just earlier this year, Vicki told me while she was praying, she heard from me to water the seeds. I knew exactly what it meant and got some business out of it. Another time she was praying and accurately described one of our dogs who turned out needed medical attention. John and I can't recommend the team at Marketplace Rock highly enough. In fact, our phone calls with them are the highlight of our week. Visit them online, marketplacerock.com, or listen to either of Amy Everett's past interviews with us, episodes four and 66, marketplacerock.com. 
For John Remstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership. Eternal Leadership.